This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who believes on him is not condemned, but he who believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing, is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study of God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful you've given to us your word. And as the psalmist said, it is the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And it is in your light that we see light. So, Father, now as we study your word, may we have the humility to submit our thinking, our living, to our opinions, everything about our lives to the authority of your word, that we might recognize that your word is given to us to teach us, instruct us, strengthen us in our life so that we may live a life that has eternal value and significance by bringing glory and honor to you. Father, as we study today, we pray that God the Holy Spirit will make clear to us how the things that we're studying apply to our own life and that we may respond by implementing and applying these principles on a daily basis. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Proverbs 1, 20 to 22 is, I think, one of the most clear and significant passages in Scripture on the importance of of getting the Word of God into your soul now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not next week, not something that you'll pull off once you sort of stabilize your life, but that you better get it now because when tomorrow comes, if calamity or crisis occurs, it's too late. And I've seen so many examples over the years. One of the, I think, banes of the pastoral ministry in the modern church context is the idea of pastoral counseling. Now, I do think there's a place for uh, coming and sitting down with the pastor over a particular issue or situation in life to gain some insight and, uh, and direction. But this idea of something that takes place over a long period of time is what takes place now. Counseling from the pulpit three times a week, Sunday morning, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. That's what the Word of God is all about. It is teaching and training us how to think, how to live, how to have discernment, wisdom, and skill at living so that when the tough times come, when the crisis hits and the calamity occurs, we have already prepared ourselves. As I pointed out last time in the, section, in the verses from 8 to 19, the focal point there was on... Uh, on Preparation for disaster, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. In that case, the father is forewarning, forearming his son to watch out for these uh, sinners, his peer group that has rejected the word of God, who will come along and entice him and tempt him and to distract him from the truth of wisdom, the truth of God's word. And by warning his son of what will take place, hopefully when this occurs, the son will reject the enticements of his uh, sinful, arrogant uh, peer group. That peer group is characterized by a number of different words as we go through the Psalms. Uh, They're uh, characterized as those who are simple. That's the word that's used in the King James or New King James actually reflects a Greek word, or excuse me, a Hebrew word that we've uh, looked at a couple of times from the verb patach, which means to be open. And it's applied to the fool because he is open to enticement, he's open to temptation, he's open to sin, and because of that he is a one category of fool. There are other categories of fools described in Proverbs, and we'll get into that in Proverbs one twenty-two this morning. And that's why I've entitled this lesson, What Kind of Fool Am I? 
I will not be applying this to anybody. You can apply it to yourself. Hopefully you'll have the objectivity to do so. Now, last time I pointed out that in this section of Proverbs, in the first nine chapters, there are basically ten lessons that the father is giving to the son. And he is attempting to prepare his son to face the realities of life as a mature adult. That is the role of the parent. It is not the role of the parent to somehow uh, slough this, this off onto society in the form of public education. It is not the uh, role of the parent to slough spiritual education off onto the uh, Sunday school teacher. It is the parent's responsibility to oversee and direct the education of the children. Now, some of you were fortunate, as I was, in that we grew up in a time in this country when there was still a, uh, a residual impact of Protestant Christian theology on the thinking, the values of this country. But that's not true anymore. There may be the odd, rare uh, teacher in public school who is a believer who teaches uh, from a sound biblical framework but that is not the norm. In fact, the influence of peers, the influence of video and media, the influence of television and film uh, bring uh, more influence to bear on your children than you can possibly imagine. And it's your job as a parent uh, to counter that. And that can't be countered just by bringing them to uh, Sunday school or prep school one day a week. You can't count it in your own soul if you think you get enough just listening to the word uh, one day a week. This, you, we are all constantly under bombardment from a world system that seeks to distract us, to entice us, to tempt us away from the uh, absolutes of God's word and to uh, confirm to us that what we know to be true in our heart is that the word really doesn't work. I've got to do it myself. But remember, the heart, as Jeremiah said, is deceitful and wicked above all things. So your wicked little dark heart and my wicked little dark heart are constantly being attracted to these systems and these rationales to justify our own way of handling life. And when we yield to that, we become a fool. And the scripture is very clear on that, and it's not very complimentary. And as we get into this section, we'll talk about that a little more. So that's what these lessons are for. As I pointed out last time, you will see this outline more and more. Uh, so don't necessarily try to get it all down now. You'll get a little frustrated because I'm just hitting the high points. But we're going to hit this every every time as we move through the first nine chapters. The first lesson... We covered last time, verses 8 through 19, which is a challenge to listen to the Father's guidance and to reject the influence of the peers. In other words, don't be influenced by the herd. Focus on the word instead. Then there is a sort of a parenthetical section, uh, verses 20 to 33, which is the focus this morning, which is a comment on wisdom. Wisdom is personified as an individual, as a woman, who comes crying out to the public, offering herself to any and to all, freely, loudly, clearly offering, continuously uh, inviting people to partake of her. And yet there are those who are the fools who reject that offer. But then the crisis comes. And when the crisis comes because the fool and the scoffer has rejected wisdom, wisdom scoffs at the fool. Wisdom says, too late now. You need to get this into your soul before the crisis hits, because once the crisis hits, it's too late to build the fortifications necessary to handle the assault. And so wisdom is pictured as just laughing at the individual. Now, wisdom doesn't equal God. I've heard some people try to make that. But God doesn't sit up there and laugh and scoff and deride people. There's always the free offer of grace. But wisdom is, is the mature 
applied understanding of God's word. And just like any other field of knowledge, to have mature applied uh, knowledge for any particular subject takes time. It takes practice. We uh, learn things. We apply them day after day, year after year. And over time and experience, it becomes the normative pattern uh, of our thinking. That's what builds strength in us. So you can't run out and get wisdom and get maturity and gain experience overnight just because suddenly the crisis the crisis has come so the first section the first lesson is the challenge to listen to the father's guidance then there's this uh, interlude comment uh, that we'll look at today then the second lesson is in, in chapter two that we are to protect ourselves from the wicked the third section in chapter three one through twelve the promise of the lord and the son's responsibility there's a heavy emphasis in Proverbs on individual responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility, the school's responsibility, the grandparents' responsibility, the neighbor's responsibility, the city government's responsibility, or the state or federal government's responsibility. It is our responsibility, each individual. And the trouble is when you get lazy people who are who have rejected wisdom they get into a habit pattern of shifting responsibility to someone else. They not only shift blame, but they shift responsibility. Uh, and as we all know, uh, once that happens, it's easier to do it the next time. And before we know it, we're just letting somebody else take care of all the responsibilities for us. And that is the road to personal collapse. Fourth, there's the importance of following the path of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding emphasized in chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. The sixth lesson is instruction on how to run well and seize life and to stay off the human viewpoint road to avoid taking that path. In chapter 4, 10 through 19, there's a warning against serving from the right road in 420 to 27. The eighth lesson is on the emptiness of free sex and the wisdom of marriage, and then there's an insight on three patterns or three types of people you don't want to become. The ninth lesson is on the high cost of a promiscuous wife. The tenth lesson is on the promiscuous wife's seductive tactics in Chapter 7, and then two closing appendices dealing with wisdom's appeal to the open-minded, that is, the naive or the simple or the fool, and then second, the conflict between the wise and the fools. So that's chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. Now, as we looked at the last lesson, I just want to go back and look at the closing part of the previous lesson because there's, a, there's an image that's brought in to drive home the point. And the point in 8, uh, really in 10 through 19, is to forewarn the son of what he's going to face, of the uh, uh, temptations, the enticements, the attractive uh, baiting of the trap to sin that will be offered by his peers who have rejected uh, wisdom. And this is depicted then in this imagery of a hunter who goes out and spreads the net down in order to catch the birds, spreading the net down on the ground and then putting grain or corn or something on top of the net uh, to attract the bird and and doing that in in uh, full view of the bird. And this is a notoriously difficult path, uh, verse to both translate in the Hebrew and then to interpret. But the idea here is that that the the it the reason it's it's vanity or emptiness um, when the net is spread in the sight of any bird is the bird doesn't connect the net to the trap. And that's what happens with the, the, the fool. They're not connecting their behavior to the negative consequences that come into their life. And so the imagery here is, is that the, the, the bird can be up in the tree and see the net spread out, but then he uh, doesn't connect that later on because birds don't understand what the net is. They're not intelligent in that way. Uh, and then later on, they see the food, and they come, and they catch the food, and they're entrapped, and they don't see the uh, understand the connection in the same way the fool doesn't understand the connection between 
uh, his behavior and the consequences that are laid out in verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. They don't connect their their greed and their desire for easy money with the fact that their life ends up in turmoil and collapse uh, because the consequences of bad decisions are not often seen for many, uh, many years. And so these negative habit patterns develop and people don't connect because of the hardness of their heart. Now, as we get into the next section, we see the same kind of thing being displayed in this uh, personification of wisdom. Wisdom is offering herself ahead of time before the crisis. But people don't think there's a connection between the collapse in life after a crisis and the failure uh, uh, for uh, for not uh, taking in the Word of God and developing wisdom for years and years to prepare for the crisis. They don't connect the dots. They just see two different things, and so they never prepare. The fool never prepares, and when the crisis hits, they run around saying, what do I need to learn? Teach me some doctrine. We see this all the time. People go through crises in their life, and suddenly they're coming back to church, and they're uh, trying to cram for their exam, and it's too late. They've already failed it, and then as soon as things stabilize a little bit in life, then you don't see them anymore. Uh, So in this section we come up with in the next uh, few verses, from verse 20 down to 33, these 14 verses, there's basically three divisions. The first is wisdom gives a loud, ever-present or ubiquitous invitation to all in verses 20 to 21. Wisdom calls aloud outside. It's not private. It's outside, available to all. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses, in the highways, in the byways, at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. Wisdom is offered continuously to all and is available to all all the time. But there's a sermon from wisdom and a rebuke to those who are the three categories of fools, the simple, the uh, scoffer, uh, and um, and the fool that are listed in verse 22. They're called, uh, the, the New King James uses the words, the simple, the scorner, the fool. There are other words to describe them. They're basically three different types of fools in that verse. And the cry is to turn at her rebuke. And if they turn, which simply means to change your mind, to reverse course, to shift from focusing on uh, self-absorption and arrogance to humility to the word, then Wisdom will be poured out upon them. God's, uh, the, God makes the truth available to all at no cost. The word of God is free to all at no cost, as depicted in the uh, picture of heaven in Revelation 21 with the river of life is available to all at no cost. But there is this negative response, verse 24, because I've called and you refused because I stretched out my hand and no one regarded. And so we have uh, uh, three verses there, or two verses there, that describe this negative reaction. And we need to understand why do people have this negative response to the offer of wisdom? And it's for the same reason that they have a negative response to the offer of salvation, is that they have a predetermined, and they determine it, not God, they have a predetermined belief that they can do it on their own and they don't need God. They don't want God. It's not an intellectual problem. It's not an educational problem. It's not a social problem. It's not a financial problem. It's a moral problem. It is a spiritual problem because people think they don't need God and they make a choice to reject God. And it is because they've made this They've already made this decision to reject God and to do it themselves. Then they are committed to this course of action. So wisdom uh, rebukes the unresponsive fool in verses 22 to 23 and then denounces them in 24 down through 27 with these statements, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror comes or scoff at you when terror comes. See, the scoffer scoffs at 
wisdom, and now wisdom returns the favor and concludes, when your terror comes like a storm and when uh, your destruction comes like a whirlwind or a tornado, when distress and anguish come upon you, then you're going to call upon me. See, that's the next section. Wisdom will reject them at the time of their judgment, when they come in this crisis in their life. Wisdom says, too late now, uh, I will not answer, verse 28. They will seek me, but they won't find me because they hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. That's the issue, volition. Because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel. Therefore, skip down to verse 31, where we see uh, in this section the reflections are, are the consequences of rejection here. Therefore, they will eat the fruit of their own way, which basically means they'll suffer the consequences of their own bad decisions. And then in verses 31 to 33, we see these closing remarks. That's the flyover. That's the overview here. So let's look at the opening for just a minute. Wisdom is depicted, as I've said before, as a person. This is a figure of speech called personification, where something, some object, some abstract idea is is depicted as an individual person. In this case, wisdom, chokhmah, is presented as a woman who is out in the streets, walking up and down the streets, up and down the alleys, crying out with a loud voice, calling upon people in a fervent emotional way. That's the connotation with the uh, words in the, in the Hebrew. Uh, it, it, these are words that are used in other passages indicating uh, uh, deep distress, em, uh, deep emotion, profound emotion. So this isn't just some sort of academic invitation. This is this shows the the uh, extreme ways in which wisdom is offered to people. People often say, "Well, I, I don't really know uh, how that God exists. I mean, if God exists, why does He make Himself known?" Well, he couldn't make himself known more clearly according to uh, the word of God. And the same is true for wisdom. Wisdom is available to all. It's in the word of God today more than any other time in history. We have the truth of God's word available to all. They can just uh, Google just about anything and find somebody, some pastor somewhere, some biblical resource commentary book that gives them the wisdom and guidance they need for whatever problem that there is, but they can also find uh, lots of other uh, false leads as well. And people gravitate to that because they think that the the way that seems natural to them, as the writer of Proverbs says twice, is really the end of death, but it seems right to them, so they constantly go down uh, these wrong paths. Now, Scripture makes it clear that God always makes himself known uh, and uh, that the knowledge of him available to man. The two great passages on that are in uh, Psalm 19 and in Proverb. I mean, excuse me, and in Romans 1:18 and following. Psalm 19:1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Firmament there is a word that relates to the atmosphere. In other words, that this is a nonverbal declaration of the existence of God that we see in the heavens. This is something related to the um, intelligent design argument that has been popular uh, in recent years from Christians and creationists, but it goes beyond that because the intelligent design argument just leaves you with an intelligent designer. This passage says that the heavens declare an intelligent designer. No, it doesn't say that, does it? The heavens declare the glory of God. They don't speak of just an intelligent designer. That's just a classification. The the heavens declare the glory of the one and only God, Uh, not in a verbal way, but in a nonverbal way. And it does this through seeing and witnessing and understanding his handiwork. That is how everything within the universe has been made, the intricacy, the beauty all of this, and, and when we look at think about these concepts of, of beauty, we're reminded of this idea of wisdom in the Scripture that God made the universe, the writer of Proverbs says, uh, by wisdom. 
and that shows skill and beauty. Wisdom isn't just knowledge applied. It is knowledge applied in a skillful and beautiful way. And so this is seen. The results of God's creativity are seen, and this tells us uh, many things about the one who has created them. This is not something that's happened once, but it goes on continuously, just as wisdom cries every day in the streets. Day into day utters speech, and night into night reveals knowledge, uh, David says in Psalm 19.2. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. See, the revelation of God and who he is through his creation is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, all the time. You can't escape it. No one can escape it. No one has the right to say, you know, I just didn't know. Because every human being has been blasted. There is a loudspeaker coming out of every tree, every flower, every bird, every star in the skies that is proclaiming to every individual that God exists. But they've put their earmuffs on and their earplugs in and they've said, I just don't want to hear it. It is a volitional issue. It's not intellectual and it's not educational or social. They have rejected it. This is the point of Romans 1.18 and following. Romans 1.18 talks about the judgment of God in history and says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What this verse is saying, as we've studied in Romans, is that what in the in the in the process, as individuals see and witness the heavens declaration of God's glory, they say, "I don't want to know it." They suppress that truth. It's not that they don't understand it; they understand it all too well. They just don't want to admit it's true because they have a prior commitment to their own self-sufficiency and their their own ability to make life work apart from God. Romans one nineteen goes on to explain this, saying, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It is witnessed to, it's confirmed in them. Every individual from Madeline Murray O'Hare all the way down to whatever the latest manifestation of atheism is in, in our world today, it is a rejection of, of God, they, but those atheists know in the core of their soul that God exists. Why? Because God has revealed it to them. Romans one twenty goes on to tell us how God revealed it to them. This is parallel to Romans, I mean, to Psalm nineteen one. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes have been clearly seen. I love the way that's expressed. You don't see things that are invisible. But God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. There we use the word seeing as a metaphor for mental perception and understanding. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. We can extrapolate backward from the creation to the creator to understand certain things about his uh, person. We can see that he must be personal because there are persons created. We know that he is, uh, he must be infinite and omniscient because of the vast extent of the knowledge that must be required in order to create everything in the universe. So there are things that can be clearly stated about this creator. He is eternal. Uh, He is transcendent. He is personal. You get many religions such as Hinduism and Eastern religions that have, have a transcendent God, but he's not personal. Then you have the ancient uh, European and Middle Eastern uh, pagan religions and poly, uh, 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 polytheistic religions where you have very personal gods, but they're not transcendent gods. So you world religions tend to go one way or the other. You get a personal God or you get a transcendent God, but only biblical Christianity presents us with a personal uh, transcendent God. And then verse 21 tells us, because although they knew God, 
See, unbelievers know God and they know he exists. That's the undeniable testimony of Scripture. So when you're witnessing to somebody, it's not really your job or my job to convince them that God exists. When we talk about the existence of God and we're just helping them uh, understand something they already know and we're trying to, as it were, uh, strategically expose or rip open the camouflage that they've put around their knowledge of God that they don't want to see anymore. Because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile or empty in their thoughts, and their, look at this word, foolish hearts were darkened. See, that's the fool. And just because you're a believer who trusted Christ doesn't mean you still don't function like a fool at times. Every time we sin, we function like a fool. We live like a fool, and that's why I ask the question, what kind of fool are you? What kind of fool am I? Then verse 22 says, professing to be wise, that is, they are smart and brilliant and they have high IQs and in the eyes of the world, they are academically qualified with multiple PhDs and yet in the eyes of God, they have become fools because as the psalmist says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. Now, I've often thought about that verse and wondered, is is the fool a fool because he's rejected God and said there's no God, or does he say there's no God because his mindset is that he's a fool? Which is it? In Romans, it's because he's rejected God, he's a fool, but I think in the Psalms, it's the other way around. They're both true. So we see the personification of wisdom in Proverbs one twenty. Wisdom calls aloud outside. Wisdom is always knocking on your door saying, let me in. I want to come in and strengthen your life so that when the crisis comes, you're prepared. And the issue is, how do we respond to that? Are we making the acquisition of wisdom a priority in our life? Now, remember, wisdom isn't information. Information is just facts and data. We live in the midst of an information revolution and people are overwhelmed with bits of data and we have more information than we can possibly assimilate. But information is not knowledge. Knowledge comes from being able to comprehend, organize, and utilize those bits of information. But knowledge even though it is much to be desired, is not wisdom. First, we have to have information, then we have knowledge, but only when we apply that knowledge and practice the application of that knowledge are we able to develop skill, which is wisdom. It's like learning how to play an instrument, a musical instrument. I remember when I was when I was young and started taking piano lessons when I was about seven or eight years old, and you play lots of different things. Many of you have experiences like that. You play all these little basic, simple songs, and you learn basic chords, and you learn the notes. But it's only when you play and you practice and you practice and you practice that eventually you're able to do it smoothly in a way that hopefully expresses some level of, of, of beauty and attractiveness. If we don't practice the application of God's word continuously, we can never develop wisdom because wisdom is that which only comes through the practice of application. So wisdom is constantly available, crying out, calling out, inviting us to make her a part of our thinking and a part of our life. Now, wisdom then brings a rebuke a rebuke to those who reject wisdom. And we are all rejectors of wisdom at some point or another in our lives. In verse 22, she says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. I've underlined on the screen the three key words here that tell us of three different types of of fools. This is not all the different words for fools in the Old Testament, but these are three that are used uh, consistently within uh, within Proverbs. And there's not an order here. It's not the uh, at first glance. It, it seems like oh, we're, we might be moving from an order of the simple or the naive to the scorner and then to the fool. 
but actually comparing these words with other passages, uh, that would not uh, be true. So I want to look at each one of these. The first one is the word the simple. The word the simple, I've already referred to the uh, verb form for that. The uh, noun form is pati from the verb patach, and it is translated by some gullible. By some, it is translated naive. It is used 14 times in Proverbs to describe this one classification of the fool. The basic literal meaning of patach, or the, the verb from which it comes, is to be open, as I mentioned earlier, and it has the idea of those who are open to temptation. They are easily enticed, easily attracted to that which is wrong. Uh, this is the uh, simplest of the fools, so to speak, the uh, the mildest one might say. They are the ones who are still at a place where they can change, where they can shift their volition and respond to the invitation of wisdom. They are the young. They are the naive. Uh, they are, uh, as I pointed out here, they are the naive, the gullible, uh, the open-minded. They are intellectually flawed, yet they are changeable. There is still clear hope. They haven't really locked themselves down into stubborn arrogance of negative volition. They are uh, immature. They'll believe anything, and so they need to be taught, and they need to understand uh, wisdom. Uh, the naive or the gullible, the one who is open-minded to all the wrong ideas, is pictured uh, in this in, in Proverbs as a youth in Proverbs 1, 4 and 7, 7 uh, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. The uh, verse in Proverbs 7, 7, we also read in, we saw among the simple, I perceived among the youth. See the parallelism between the simple, the petit and the youth are a young man devoid or empty of understanding. The, <clears throat> the young man or the simple is also depicted in uh, Proverbs 7, 7 as one who is empty or devoid of understanding. He lacks sense. This is seen in Proverbs 7, 7, also in Proverbs 9, 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, see, that's the parallel the one who is simple lacks understanding. He doesn't have any sense. He doesn't have a comprehension of the truth of God's word. Also in 9.16, whoever is simple, wisdom says, let him turn in here. Or, uh, excuse me, I'm not sure who's speaking here. I think it may be the, uh, the, the, the evil, the adulteress. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him. So the simple is compared to the one who lacks understanding. In Proverbs uh, 14, 15, and 18, and we see that the, uh, that the fool, the open-minded, gullible one, is not shrewd. Uh, the simple believes every word. He's easily tricked. He, he wants to believe everything. He has no sense of discernment. Uh, in verse uh, Proverbs fourteen eighteen, the simple inherit folly. Uh, parallel to that is that, and the opposite is that the prudent are crowned with knowledge, and so the simple uh, receives folly. He's not insightful at all as to what is going on uh, in his life. He is seen in um, other verses as being weak-willed and easily seduced. Uh, in Proverbs 19.25, uh, he is uh, one who needs to be rebuked. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become, uh, will become wary. Uh, Proverbs 21.11, uh, when the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise. And so there is the opportunity for the, wisdom, for the uh, scoffer to turn and to change uh, to change his way, but often the uh, prudent, is, I mean the simple, is not willing to respond. Proverbs twenty-two verse three: A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on 
and are punished. See, they don't respond to correction. So there are many different ways in which the simple is presented in Scripture and in Proverbs and their opportunity to turn and to receive uh, receive correction. And one of the most significant is in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness. This is the same word here. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it from him. So correction from parents in terms of discipline is very much a part of training uh, the young, the naive, so that they do not fall prey to the enticements of the sinners. Now, the next word group is really a couple of words that are used in uh, as synonyms. The first is the word kithil, which is a word that is used here in in uh, Proverbs 2.22. It's the fool in the last line, and fools hate knowledge. It is used in uh, parallelism many times with the second word on the screen, avil, uh, which is also translated fool. In the English, you usually can't tell the difference between what's being stated in the Hebrew but what we see is the avil, the second class, is obtuse. He's dense. He just doesn't get it or want to get it. But he's dense because of his moral perversion. He's already perverted morally, and because he's committed to that moral perversion, he has become dense toward spiritual truth. And on the other side, the kasil is almost the op- exact opposite. He is morally uh, perverse by reason of his obtuseness. So he starts being obtuse, and then the result for him is his uh, moral perversion. And these two words are used uh, numerous times going through uh, the Scripture. They are both characterized by folly in numerous passages. They both despise discipline and correction. They uh, both lack wisdom. They both have poor speech. They both lack self-control and are hot-tempered, and they are both morally incorrigible. These are the things that they have uh, in common. Uh, there are also some other aspects to their, uh, to their life. They hate knowledge, as we see here in Proverbs, uh, 2.20, uh, Proverbs 1.22. They have rejected the knowledge of truth. One of the things we also see with the fool is that the fool is not responsive to truth because of this prior commitment. The wise in heart will receive commands, but a prating fool will fall. He's not responsive. You can talk to your blue in the face, but see, he's more set in his ways than the gullible. Proverbs 10:14 Wise people store up knowledge but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. They are closer to the end of uh, ju- judgment or divine discipline. Proverbs 12:15 The way of a fool is right in his own eyes but he who heeds counsel is wise. They're not open to correction or receiving counsel. Uh, Proverbs 15:5 A fool despises his father's instruction but he who receives correction is Prudent is not responsive to uh, God's uh, direction. Uh, all of these relate to that uh, second word, the avil. Uh, Proverbs sixteen twenty two: Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. There's just this preset rejection of God, and this they become so hardened in their way of of rejection that they're not going to be responsive to correction. The third word that's used in Proverbs 2.22 for the fool or the scorners, this is the middle line, scorners or scoffers or mockers. Scorners or scoffers delight in their scorning. I want you to notice that, that, in, uh, that the simple ones love their simplicity and the scorners delight in their 
uh, scoffing. They have made that uh, something of value in their life. The word uh, for scoffer in the Hebrew is the word let, and it simply uh, is, means someone who is uh, just looks back and ridicules, scoffs, uh, makes light of someone else. It is a word that occurs 14 times in Proverbs, and it only occurs two times outside of Proverbs, so it's significant for uh, for understanding the book of Proverbs. It's used in Proverbs 3.34. Surely he scorns the scornful. This is God's response to the one who scorns God. But God gives grace to the humble. This is uh, sort of a corrective to a lot of people who think that, that God's just always friendly to everybody. But for the person who has been hostile to God in their arrogance, God is scornful of them. But in contrast, for the one who is humble, God gives grace and more grace. In Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 7 and 9, 8, uh, we're told, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. Because the scoffer doesn't want to hear. This is like tantamount to what Jesus said, casting pearls before swine. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. There are some people you try to correct, and all you're going to get is pain and misery and suffering for your efforts. Proverbs 9, 8, Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. It takes a little time and grade to figure out the difference sometimes. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. They have gone beyond the point of no return. Uh, Proverbs 15.2, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. So this explains sometimes why you get into such polarized arguments with some people. They are so committed to a pagan view of life and God that no matter what you say and do, all you're going to do is increase the antagonism and intensify the argument and the hostility. They're never going to listen no matter what you say. Uh, Proverbs 19.25, strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. This has to do with judgment. But rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. Proverbs 24.9, the devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. So these are the categories of fools. There's a intensification that occurs. First, you're the, the one who is open to temptation. Then you're the fool in either category uh, of the one who uh, is morally obtuse and then uh, becomes a scoffer, I mean becomes a fool, or he's a fool and then becomes uh, a moral reprobate, one or the other. And if that continues, then they end up being a scoffer. But the rebuke that the Lady Wisdom gets, beginning in verse 23, is that she's offering herself. And that comes through the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God. Again and again and again, she is pictured as one who offers herself continuously to people. And this happens both with folks who just ignore going to church and many times people who go to church and they learn and they learn and they write notes and keep their notebooks, but they never quite figure out how to put it into practice until one day the crisis hits. And the response of Lady Wisdom in verse 25 is that because you disdained all my counsel, and would have none of my rebuke, because you wouldn't respond as you had the opportunity. Uh, Lady Wisdom then says in verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When it comes like a storm and it's destruction like a cyclone or a whirlwind, when distress and anguish are upon you, when you can't sleep at night and you start crying out to God to understand things, Wisdom just laughs and says, too late. Nothing we can do about it now. Now you have to go through the turmoil. Verse 28 depicts this. Then they will call on me. I won't answer. They'll seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. The issue in life is volition. 
I was asked, why is it that people reject the gospel? Why is it that they reject truth? It's because of arrogance, because they have set their heart against God at the beginning and against the truth. They don't want to know what God has to say. They don't want to learn the truth. They, are, they believe they are sufficient unto themselves. And that's true for many of us as well. And we can easily slip into that same trap even as Christians where we think we have arrived and that we have all the answers. We have to continuously be taught the word and respond and apply the word in our life. This is what is the the negative is depicted by wisdom in verse 30. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Then the results are described in verses 31 and 32. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. This is the same principle we find in Galatians, that we reap what we sow. We will visit the the consequences of our bad decisions and our foolish choices will be visited on our own lives. Uh, For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But there's hope. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without the fear of evil. The only way to get through all of the traps and enticements of life and to avoid making bad decisions based on the arrogance of our sin nature is to get the word of God into our soul. And that only comes on a day-to-day basis and a commitment to make that a priority, that, that is, needs to, the word of God needs to overhaul our life so that we can be transformed and learn to practice that walking by the Spirit and practice claiming promises, practice putting that into effect in all of the minor details of life and all the minor challenges and minor testing so that when the big tests come, that we have the ability to handle that because we have wisdom fortifying our soul. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study through these passages, be reminded that the priority in our life needs to be your word, that we need to make time every day to study your word, to read your word, to memorize uh, promises that we can recall to mind and apply whenever we have the need. Father, we pray that you would strengthen each of us and that we would we would be able to see the the reality of these these principles in our own life as we learn to walk wisely and skillfully on the basis of your word. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's unsure of their salvation or uncertain of their eternal destiny, that they would take this opportunity to make that both sure and certain. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He paid uh, your penalty so that you could have eternal life. It's not based on who you are, what you've done, It's based on Jesus Christ. He did everything so that all you have to do is believe on him. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to commit yourself to him. You don't have to do anything the scripture says except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Father, we pray that you would uh, challenge each of us with the things that we've learned today and that we would have the courage and the wisdom to apply these things uh, on a day-to-day basis in Christ's name. Amen.